We've, uh, we've gone there before on this show. <laughs> Some might say we're armed and dangerous. Pay the price of the life every night, but it ain't enough. Pain is the name of the game. You when they are listening with us. to the As of Yet No Name podcast. Say with the lane ain't the same for us. I'm forgiven. Right now, Sunset Boulevard with my niggas. Screaming, oh my lord. I'm forgiven. Right now, Sunset Boulevard with my niggas. Screaming, oh my lord. Some might say we're around in day. Hey, what's up? You're listening to the No Name Podcast. As of yet, anyway, not sure if or when we'll get a name for the podcast. Uh, people know where to find us and uh, check us out. You will see it as Trey Niner on the uh, feed on iTunes and uh, SoundCloud as well. So anyway, with that being said, today on the No Name Podcast, joining us once again is Kyle Madsen. Follow him on Twitter at MadSports8. What's up, Kyle? Hey, Trey. What's going on, man? Not much. Uh, just talking some 49ers football here after the gut-wrenching loss to the Giants. Um, follow me on Twitter, too, at Trey, the number 9ER. So speaking of that game against the Giants, uh, you know, I okay, I think that the first thing I want to say is I think everybody, based on, on what Jed York did last year with Jim Harbaugh and based on, you know, his comments about we expect to go to the Super Bowl every year and coupled coupling that with the outrage that came over the – the you know whatever the the immaturity of how york and company handled the harbaugh situation and just the disdain and with fans about getting rid of jim harbaugh in general all of that combined i think has put this expectation on the team to where we're constantly going uh you know we're constantly comparing it back to whether that decision worked or not which i understand and, and that's the only way you can hold you know management accountable for making that decision However, I, I don't necessarily think that whatever Jed York says is really realistic. And I don't really look at the team and constantly go, oh, but Jed said, you know, I, I just, I don't know. I, I, that feels like trying to prove somebody wrong more than just kind of cheering for your football team. So I realize that that's out there. But with that being said, I take a lot of flack for talking about things that seem like moral victories that seem, you know, when I look on the bright side of things and such and such. So, you know, I expect to get more of that. But I will say that I watched that Giants game the day after because I was camping the night uh, that it was played. But watching that game, there were still some things that frustrated me. But by and large, there were a lot of really encouraging things there. And, I, you know, I actually thought that the Niners were going to pull it out. And though it was really disappointing that they let Eli Manning go down the field at the end there and the fact that the defense just really wasn't very effective all day, I do feel like it was a stepping stone game, and I, I'm re- I'm just not afraid to say that. Yeah, I think I think I know people are going to say moral victories don't count, and sure they don't count in the win and loss column, but I think they count moving forward. If they had gone Sunday night football, national TV in New York, uh, and gotten beat thirty to three, that's definitely a worse outcome than losing in the final thirty seconds. Uh, what was the final thirty to twenty seven? So I don't. I agree with you. It is a stepping stone game. It did say, hey, look, Colin Kaepernick can be good. And we talked about that last time. Uh, it's not how good can he be. It's how consistently can he do it. So um, I, I think there was a lot of encouraging things there. Um, and, I, and I think stepping stone game is a, is a good way to put it. Yeah, it counts as a loss. And, and that always sucks. But you have to be pleased with what you saw. Well, and I mean, I think most of us have come to the grips with the fact that this team is probably not going to the playoffs, barring some sort of Cinderella story outcome, you know, to the season or every team that we play has their starting quarterback get injured or something like that. (laughs) So, I mean, at this point, we really are just looking for the positives and we should be. I mean, I just, you know, it's fine. There's different kinds of fans out there. And so I'm not necessarily insulting you if you're if you're a certain way that I'm not. I know sometimes it seems like that. And, you know, my wife tells me I do that all the time that I, you know, I sound like this. And I'm like, well, I don't mean to, but whatever. I get that. But anyway, I, I, I'm just not the type to constantly dwell on the negatives. Am I, are there things that have pissed me off or the decisions that I would have made differently? Yes. But I just don't see the value for me personally. I just don't see the value in, in that being the only thing that I focus on. So, you know, for that reason, 
I, like I said, I don't expect the team to win 10 games this year anymore. I did at the beginning of the season, whether that was stupid or not. And and so now I'm just looking for positives. I'm looking for something to build off of. I'm actually looking for us not to be considered one of the worst teams in the NFL when the season is over. That's kind of like all I'm hoping for at this point. Um, although some people will say, well, that's really going to ruin your draft position. But I don't know. I, you, we could start this whole conversation with how Trent Baalke's recent drafts and free agent classes have shaped up and whether it's really that important the draft position that we have or not Man, so seriously yeah Baalke's really getting he's getting bl- blasted pretty bad for uh for this particular free agent crop uh you know with guys like Reggie Bush is constantly injured Sharice Wright isn't even on the team anymore and uh you know and then it was brought up that I think Eric Branch said 22 first four round picks in the last few years and only a handful of them have played at least 50 percent of the snaps yeah so, i think it was full i think it was like six of them have played more than 50 percent of the snaps yeah so I have the, yeah I have you the know team. i mean at a point you can't keep saying well we're drafting for the future when the future never comes you know so yeah seriously but you know i i just i really don't know is this uh, some of these things that is it the beginning of the end is it a is it just uh you know is it just it kind of part of the curve, you know, and this is going to happen and you ride it out. We're in such a reactionary society these days, and particularly in the NFL when it comes to staff changes and things like that. I mean, Joe Philbin's out in, in less than six games or whatever in, in Miami and and uh, just been there a couple of years. So I just I don't know. I mean, I, I kind of feel like do I do I feel like the Jim Tom Sola staff is is one that I, I'm confident will get us to the Super Bowl. And do I feel like, you know, Trent Baalke is, is one of the best GMs in football? I don't I don't know that the answer to those questions is necessarily yes, but um, you know, I just sometimes think you never really know until you really let it all play out. But how how long do you let it play out? Uh you know, that's where that's where we talked about this a little bit last time too. That's where it gets a little murky. I'm not sure what Jed's kind of motivations are. Um, he seems pretty tight with Balky, like Balky's his guy. Uh, but for me, I think you have to start looking at it now. Uh, you've gotten rid of the entire coaching staff, and the team is vastly underperforming uh, with the players that Balky drafted. And I don't think that a lot of this is schematics. I don't think that even if Harbaugh and Co. were here, I don't think they're sitting there with a you know four and one record right now. Uh, I think that the players to an extent, just aren't good enough. And that falls directly on the GM and, uh, and his staff. So I think this, if it, if it doesn't, if it hasn't already started, the kind of uh, fire bulky train has got to get rolling here at some point and uh, gain some traction with the fan base because uh, there's not a lot of places left to point fingers. Yeah, and, th- and that kind of starts the whole conversation about you know what uh, th- there's the whole what would you do what should they do versus what will they do and that goes back to your point about what's what's Jed York's motivation and you know it's it's either a case of he's built the stadium he's the dividends are coming in uh, that that giant hurdle is over and from a financial standpoint from a business standpoint he 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 has a projection of the profits being good for x amount of years now so maybe he's not supremely motivated to win a ton of football games you know maybe they factored that in and you know and if you're a good businessman and you own an NFL team you kind of have to do that you have to say like well what does a losing season mean to our bottom line what do three straight losing seasons mean to our bottom line you know what does this mean what is that you have to play through those scenarios you know as part of running a business because in the end that is what it is and all businesses look for places to to cut costs where where they can and uh, you know they look for places to invest money where it's going to provide returns so like you said if if Trent Balky is is Jed's boy and you know from a business standpoint he thinks that that hey, hey this is we'll be we'll be fine even if we lose some games well let's just Trent's going to stick around he's my buddy you know then uh, and same thing with the coaching staff. I mean, I don't know how long Jed's going to let this play out. I guess all we can really do is say what, what we would do in that situation. Yeah, and that's right. I don't think you can really predict it because this front office is such a such a um, trying to think of a, a not bad word here a, a cluster. <laughs> it's a it's it's a dumpster fire. Uh, nobody really knows what's going on. There's there's no real transparency. Uh, so to try and predict what's going to happen is kind of a fool's errand. Um, but like you said, for, for me personally, and, and I think for a lot of fans, 
uh, we're kind of looking now towards Balky and saying, you know, you've had four of your 22 first four round picks uh, since 2012 play less than 40% of the snaps or more than 40% of the snaps. Like that's, that's directly on you, especially when they've made it pretty clear that free agency isn't their bag. You know, they're looking for uh, kind of the, the bargain uh, basement. Yeah. Right. Right. And you get that through the draft. You get extremely talented players for really cheap for a few years and they've not been able to do that. Right. So, uh, so, and, and, the guy they signed, their franchise quarterback, has not been good this year. Uh, so I think, uh, I think, yeah, Bulky is the guy that we got to kind of start looking at and saying, "Hey, what, what's the deal? Like you've whiffed on, I mean, straight up whiffed on a lot of picks. He whiffed on an entire draft, for goodness sakes. Right. I mean, it, you can't, you can't keep going. Well, Alden Smith, he picked Alden Smith. Oh, Aaron Lynch, you got Aaron Lynch in the fifth round." I think a lot of people would have taken Aaron Lynch in the fifth round. The 49ers were just the only people to kind of say, all right, well, we'll deal with the, you know, possible headache. Right. It's, it's two things. It's funny that we do that when we're like, oh my gosh, amazing value. Like nobody else would have taken them. Like you're the smartest team in the world and everybody was going to wait two more rounds to take the guy. Um, right. And I probably do that too. But again, and the other thing is you talked about the, you mentioned the word franchise quarterback. And I started thinking about this in the last 24 hours you see what's going on in Seattle right now too, and it's kind of ironic that that you know essentially a year after the 49ers had to pay Kaepernick, they had to pay Russell Wilson, and you know I don't have I don't have the numbers in front of me, I don't have statistics in front of me. It just seems like it's it's not uncommon, and and that's kind of something that I want to talk about a little bit or start the discussion on a little bit. It's not uncommon for teams to have at least one down year after they have to pay their quarterback. The Ravens went through it with Joe Flacco too. Um, there are very few teams that can continue to pay their quarterback a lot of money and continue to win. And most of the time you're talking about your Aaron Rodgers and your Drew Brees and these guys that are, they're just damn good, you know, Um, because concessions have to be made in other places. And that's, that's just what the salary cap is right now. Um, You know, and that's, we've talked about that in the past about uh, potentially having a quarterback specific cap because you know, you know, every team's going to have to spend X amount of dollars on the quarterback, and and really they should be able to, in order for us to get the best talent at quarterback and still have weapons around them if we want to have an exciting, exciting NFL. You know, and not have teams that that just plain suck. So, you know, that's just kind of it goes back to your point about the draft, and it got me thinking. You know, if the salary cap thing doesn't change, and if there aren't enough of these elite quarterbacks to go around then you know at some point the model has got to be we need to find the best quarterback in the draft that we can and do everything that we can to get that guy because financially you know if he's good enough it's way worth the the draft capital that we would have to give to say move up or whatever the case may be and then you know it's a matter of managing the potential of that guy knowing that there's going to be some initial growing pains getting a few years out of him before you have to extend the guy and and then are we going to see teams kind of recycle are we going to see them even give deals kind of like the Kaepernick deal where it's not a huge bonus there's yearly outs and and essentially they you know they have not only the option but maybe that becomes the strategy to kind of just keep cycling through quarterbacks I, I don't know if that's coming but I like I said I think that as as we see the number of capable franchise quarterbacks dwindle, at least seemingly, and we see the no changes in the salary cap that, that make it, you know, that make it, uh, you know, desirable to pay a quarterback that much money because you can't have a lot of weapons around him. I just wonder if, if that's a trend we're going to start seeing. Well, I'm okay. So a few things here. Um, I know it's kind of beside the point, but it's not like there's always been. 20 franchise quarterbacks in the league at a time. I mean, you look generationally and there's always three or four guys that are kind of top of the heap and then a bunch of guys that are kind of meh. Well, um, what I'd be interested to see, and, and I don't know that I'll dig that up, but maybe some of our listeners can, or maybe you'll want to, is is percentage of teams total cap paid to quarterback, uh, be that at like an average over the league or whatever through the years. I, I'm curious whether whether the quarterback has always occupied this percentage of the cap space or if that number's true. grown. Okay, but but to your point, moving moving forward there, I think that it's a lot easier to sign a quarterback um, to to large sum of money, and then find weapons in the draft or through cheap free agents 
look at look at what the Packers do with with their wide receivers. I mean, Devontae Adams, Jeff Janis were both drafted last season. Um, yeah, they they kept Randall Cobb around for a good sum of money, but they seem to be able to just plug these guys in. Same thing with the Colts. Same thing with with Patriots. any Peyton Manning team. The Patriots. I mean, yeah, I can't even. I guess I can now, but going into last year, I couldn't name the Patriots receivers for the life of me. Um, So I think it's a lot easier to plug in guys around a quarterback than it is to say, do like you were saying and saying, just kind of cycling through quarterbacks. Well, and I I agree with that. You may not have another one for a decade. I agree with that, but that's all based on the fact that you have a franchise quarterback and you got to find one in the first place. And, and so that kind of goes back to the whole, you know, you can either live in quarterback purgatory or you can, you know, continually cycle through until you do hit on one. Once you do, I'm totally, you know, I'm totally for that. If you've got that guy, you don't, you don't, you know, you don't cycle through to the next guy just because of money, because he's good enough to make the guys around him good. But oh, okay. if you've got to pay Colin Kaepernick or Russell Wilson or some of these guys that, that honestly just aren't top five quarterbacks or whatever in the NFL that don't always make elevate the talent of the skill position guys around them like i said you're either going to be in purgatory with them forced to essentially pay them the same amount of money as an aaron Rodgers or an eli manning or whomever else but yet you're not getting the same thing out of them but that's just kind of how it goes as well he's pretty good and this is what quarterbacks get paid so that's what that's all he's going to take and so you're going to commit that money to the guy either way i feel like until you find him you kind of have to be prepared to change things up every four to five years until you get that guy that you say, okay, he's really worth it. The return on investment is great. And therefore, you know, like you said, we can go to the draft, we can get the bargain basement guys at wide receiver because he'll find the open guy. I think a perfect example of what you're talking about is Joe Flacco. Right. He won a Super Bowl. The Ravens throw just ass loads of money at this guy and they've not been very good since. Right. Um, and I think doing large part to the fact that they can't, uh, and you know, Terrell Suggs is old now. They lost Ed Reed. They lost Ray Lewis. I get that, but they haven't been able to, to kind of restock and, and revamp their roster. Um, and so, and I think a lot of and that, if you remember that, that, if you remember that off season that they paid Flacco, that was when they got rid of Bolden and they, I mean, it was like a mass exodus. I mean, everybody yeah. that got them to the Super Bowl was pretty much gone. And and like you're kind of seeing that with the Niners now too after they've paid Kaepernick, and you're seeing you know at least results wise you're seeing it from the Seahawks. I'll be honest, I have no idea how they're going to manage their cap because it seems like they've signed everybody to a mega contract up there. Um, the results aren't aren't there yet this year and may not come, but I feel like it's only going to get worse up there. And that's just that's just what we're talking about is whether your guy is the top paid quarterback in the NFL is not the issue if if he's even close if he's not i mean because that's kind of isn't that kind of what it is you've got the guys that have the six-year hundred some million dollar deals and then you've got the guys that you sign off the street that you pay three million dollars a year you know and there's not a ton of in between there really isn't so if you're gonna if you've got a guy that you want to keep you basically are gonna have to pay him a crap ton of money especially if he's winning games for you so, Probably overpay, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, what do you do? I mean, at what point do you, it, it, you know, and then you can point, and this is this is short-sighted, so I'm not going to say this is going to continue this way, but then you can look at a guy like Andy Dalton, and, and how bad did everybody feel like Cincinnati was in quarterback purgatory with him? Now he's starting to put some results together. People will bring up Alex Smith, too, and say, oh, man, you know, we, we thought that, that – any team that had him was just going to be kind of stuck in that, in that situation. And then, you know, he started playing pretty well and now he's back to not playing well. So, you know, again, you know what you get from Aaron Rodgers, Tom Brady, Drew Brees, these guys, the other guys, you know, Kaepernick, Wilson, Dalton, Flacco, they've had some amazing seasons and they've been for, they forced their team's hand to pay them. But even their best since then is, is like we talked about with Kaepernick, not consistent enough to get the return on investment that you're going to pay. So I just feel well, like all teams that are in that situation, 49ers included, have to at least have a keen eye on the draft to, to, to make a move like that. Well, and I think, I think because the quarterback talent at the quarterback position is so scarce, uh, you have to sign your Colin Kaepernick, your Andy Dalton's, uh, your Joe Flacco's, because if you let them walk, uh, your fan base is going, hey, that's a guy that just put together some really good seasons, and now you're going to bring in some unknown. 
Yeah, and um, isn't it always the so, case, too, that they play their best right before the contract, too? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Every single time. Um, so, so no, I know this is kind of going away from from just the 49ers uh, because Colin Kaepernick did sign such a, such a team-friendly deal. Um, but it's going to be interesting to see going forward. I think this all kind of started with talking about draft position. Uh, if they do wind up with three or four wins this year and they have a, a top five pick, It'll be interesting to see how they go about utilizing that pick. Do they do they stick with Cap and say, "Hey, if we had a better O line, uh, he'd play a lot better." Uh, take an O line with their first, take an O lineman with their first round pick, uh, and then maybe move up again in the first round to try and grab another one. Well, uh, I think or we, do they? I think we know that's what Trent Baalke's going to do because that's essentially what he did the first year that he was in charge of the draft with with Anthony Davis and Mikey Potty. And a lot of people will say. You know, w- with that offensive line that that eventually came together, that was some of the best success that San Francisco had. Granted, there's a lot of other factors that went into that, but I think Trent Baalke is the type of guy that is going to build in the trenches, or he's going to find a pass rusher. That's just he's totally that best player available type of guy, and it's too hard to pigeonhole a position. But I I I don't see him taking a quarterback, and it's it's hard to take a quarterback at like seventh or, or or ninth or something like that because typically they're about the third or fourth best quarterback and if they lasted that long you know it, i don't know it's you really don't know what you're getting i mean you've got your your tom brady's in the sixth round and your aaron Rodgers and you know in the late first round and things like that but i don't know if Trent balky's the kind of guy that's going to sit and wait for a quarterback to fall to him i i, I see him making another head scratcher type of pick no matter where we are whether it be an offensive lineman, which wouldn't really be a head scratcher, or another pass rusher, you know, I mean, in in his mind, you can never have too many pass rushers, and he seems like he's pretty good at finding those guys. So, I don't have a lot of confidence that they'll find a good quarterback in the draft. But if that's what they do, I don't know. I, I just don't know. This, this it's like you said before. This team is it's a cluster. I have no clue. This is the, this is the first time in a long time that I that I feel like the the team is listing, and I have no idea where they're going to go. If they get the number one pick, they take Jared off, though, right? Yeah, well, I mean, that's what I'm. If, Come on, and I even, I even think, like I said, it, with the model of, of of quarterbacks and salaries and everything like that, I think if they're even in the top seven, they gotta seriously consider packaging some stuff to move up and get you know Goff or whoever emerges as the the surefire quarterback on their board. You know, I mean, it, it's especially right, if, know- especially if Kaepernick doesn't play very consistently this year you know if the o-line gets a little bit better uh, and he's still not putting it together and they have that out there they they gotta make a move you gotta go bigger go home and no matter how good a friend's bulky is with jed york it's getting close to hell mary time for him yeah absolutely and i think i i mean he's got to put together especially in the wake of of firing harbaugh and and them putting all this confidence in this new coaching staff uh, he's got to put together a good draft if if he wants to stick around because you got to think if this next one falls flat, he's done. Because he hasn't. What else? What else does he have to cling to? Yeah, the free agent. It's funny. The free agent classes we were skeptical about, you know, three or four years ago, and then they'd pan out, and he'd get the best out of these guys, and they'd go elsewhere, and you'd never hear their name again, and. You know, I think we expected that, and now it hasn't really happened. And the draft was kind of the same way. There was a lot of, oh my gosh, what a surprising pick. And then the guy would end up being pretty good. Um, that it just hasn't panned out anymore. And it, it makes you it makes you feel like, and we say that, the, you know, finding guys in the draft and things like that and, and, and player development in general sometimes can be so much luck as it is skill to, to to end up hitting on those guys because there's a lot of factors that go, i mean guys get injured guys go crazy guys commit crimes and a lot of that stuff turns out it checks out fine in the pre-draft process and then they just go off the rails so there, there's as much luck involved in, in it as anything and it makes you wonder was bulky that good or did he just get that lucky all along yeah that's where i don't think because armstead's been been pretty good this year so in terms of and I don't know if that's bulky or Tom Sula. Um, I don't know if that's bulky, just bringing in a super athletic guy and, and the 49ers having a good defensive line uh, coaching staff. Um, but yeah, it's, it, you gotta, you gotta wonder at what point is, does it, does it get pointed at bulky? Um, and I'm, I'm not sure if it ever will. 
And well, it's going to be interesting to see where they go this year. And I think where they go this year, like you were just saying, totally depends on how on how this season finishes out. If they finish the season somehow with six or seven wins and look good doing it, um, then maybe they do go O-line. But if they go three wins and Cap looks terrible, um, then you got to think that, that they go all out for somebody like a Jared Goff. I just don't know. Like Jed York and loyalty are not two terms that seem like they that they go together very well. I, I know he's got some guys that have been there for a long time, like Trent and and Parag, But I I just I feel like if you're not doing your job, that Jed's loyalty runs out real quick. You know. But uh, but Tim Kawakami made the point that Trent knows where the bodies are buried. Yeah, and well, that's true. I think that was a great point. It, it, so, it, hey, it will talk on October 14th. Yeah, I know. That's when you know your season's going really well. So anyway, well, let's get back to the Giants game. Um, like I said, some encouraging things. I mean, Cap definitely looked a little bit better in terms of not getting sacked a lot. Uh, did he get sacked at all? Uh, I don't believe so. Let me I can I can check. Yeah, you can check while I ramble on with my mindless drivel like usual. But um, he didn't get sacked very much, if at all. Uh, he started really feeling it there at a point. He had some nice touch passes. Um, you know, I th- it looked like some of the stuff they talked about in the week during the week actually came to fruition, which is one of those encouraging sights that I was talking about. Because a lot of times, you know, you get you listen to the coaching staff say that they've made some changes and they they want him to to stop playing safe and just go be himself, and it sounds great. And then the same crap happens that week, but. It looked like he did kind of go back to his old self, being confident. He threw stuff into tight windows. He's got the arm strength to do that. I mean, if there's anything he's going to be able to do in his career well, uh, it's going to be something like that. And uh, taking chances in one-on-one situations, especially to a guy like Bolden who fights for the ball. So, you know, uh, there was definitely some encouragement there. The offensive line looked like it played a lot better. Um, Aaron Lynch still looks good, which is kind of a broken record statement, but... um, did you find out whether he got sacked or not? Uh, checking that right now. Uh, yeah, he was sacked twice. Okay. For a loss of just six yards, though. Right. Well, that's good. So, and you know, he threw the ball away a couple times. It was it was it was kind of good to see Bruce Miller in there a little bit more too. Um, and and I uh, you know correlation seems like uh, things went a little bit better when Miller was in there. They actually threw the ball to him a little bit more. It's nice to have another option in, in the passing game. Um, to keep defenses honest. I can't believe that those bubble screens on the outside actually work. They seem like they never work for the 49ers. It seems like every other team in the NFL runs that play like a staple, and the 49ers have never been very good at it. They used to try to run it to Michael Crabtree, who made a living off of it at Texas Tech, and they still hardly ever got anything good out of it. So, um, you know, plenty well, of positives. Uh, one of the problems, and, and Jim Tom Sula was asked about this in his press conference and didn't really have an answer, which is a problem. Uh, Bruce Ellington in that first drive had two catches for 39 yards and then didn't see the field again. And, and my first thought was injury because that's been his his thing is they're always like, oh, he's getting healthy, he's getting healthy, and then he gets injured again. I don't know. Uh, then then maybe they're, then maybe Tom Sula is hiding that or something because he didn't have an answer really at the press conference. I guess we'll have to see. The injury first injury report should come out today, I believe. Wednesday's the first one, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah so we'll have to see so. if he's on there or not. So. Um, you know, another bulky guy that's for one reason or another has has yet to see the field as much as we'd like. So um, I don't know. Some some things that, that kind of ticked me off a little bit, though, and, and there are many and I'm sure I'll miss some on on the good and the bad was, first of all, can we stop taking the ball out from nine yards deep in the end zone? Like, man, I, it seems like if we get past the 20, I'm jumping up and down excited. And that's just ridiculous. Yeah. Um, and secondly, can Carlos Hyde run straight north and south more, please, and stop? I, a part of me thinks, okay, I was like, hey, you know, Hyde's a really good fit for this zone scheme because he's got the speed to get to the edge and he can find the hole. But then the problem is when there isn't one, he's he, you know, he needs to put his head down and just go make one and and lose one yard or go for no gain instead of running backwards and losing five or seven. That that really kind of ticked me off. You ran. 
93 yards on 21 carries. <laughs> yeah, at the end of the day, it was fine. But there was a couple times there where he reversed fields like like twice well, that, in a row. Think, and I'm I like, think, come on, dude. That never works. And then I think I one think time I think it, one time he turned it into a four-yard gain. <laughs> like one time he yeah. turned it into a gain. And so then you're like, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. Yeah, and that, I mean, guys do that. Um, I, I don't I don't think that's an exclusive to Carlos Hyde thing. And every single time they do it, you go, that never works. What are you doing? Uh, but they're just trying to make a play. I mean, you can't really fault them for that. Yeah, um, just uh, annoying. A positive, since you're being negative Nancy over there, uh, I'm going to find a positive from this game. And I'm looking at the penalties. Uh, just four for, for 28 yards. There's a big one there at the end, uh, pass interference on, I believe it was Acker on... Um, on Odell Beckham on the last drive, uh, but the four penalties is big, especially after uh, after those first couple games. Um, they seem to have uh, a lot of penalties, so good that they're uh, good that they're cutting down on that because they don't need anything else uh, hindering them. Yeah, and I, I think Andrew Tiller played well. Um, I think Pro Football Focus agreed. Not that that's the authority, but most of us that watched saw that he pass protected pretty well, picked up stunts, which has become like a rare art form to be able to pick up a stunt in San Francisco. Um, Marcus Martin continues to not look very good, but uh, they have nobody. I, I'm, I'm pretty sure that they're, that they're checking in with Daniel Kilgore uh, every five minutes. I, I think that they've got him on speed dial uh, to, to see how he's doing, if huh. he's going to be ready to come back after week six here, because uh, I've had all the hope in the world for Marcus Martin, and he was one of the best centers in college. And a lot of people lauded the pick and said he's going to be a ten-year starter in the NFL. And he may yet be, but he's not there yet. I don't know what it is. Isn't he like twenty-one? He's very young. He he was like maybe twenty when he came out. Yeah, I'm. So I'm gonna. I'm. I'm glad that they're starting him. I'm glad he's playing because that's the only way he's he's going to get better. Yeah, he's 21 right now. He turns 22 next month. Right. But but I'm I'm fine with that. I'm fine with growing pains. This team's not going to the playoffs. Let him play. Let him get good. Yep. I, and I am too. That's fine. Uh, I just I, I think that if they give Tiller a shot there, I don't know if Piers is going to be good enough. The right tackle. I mean, let can we be honest for a minute? Anthony yeah, always. Anthony, always be honest. Anthony Davis was was a big loss. Okay, it, it was a oh, big yeah. loss. The reason why it was a big loss is because everyone that they tried to replace him with sucked. I mean, sucked. Just the worst that you could possibly trot out there. I like Anthony Davis. I think he fit in fine. He was a tough guy. He was funny. You know, all that being said, he had some really bad games though. And I'm not just talking about early on in his career. He would he would disappear. He would have lapses at times. He was not the most consistent blocker that there was at right tackle. So, you know, I mean, let's just not do that thing where we make a guy a Hall of Famer because everyone that tried to replace him sucked, you know? Well, but but he was he was better than than what they had. Exactly. That's what I'm saying. But but you know, let's not uh let's not make it seem like the guy was you know was way better than he was and the reason i'm saying that is because if pierce could just be passable if he could just be not horrible like 50 percent of the time even if he's horrible the other 50 percent or whatever that percentage is there right. i think that the, i think the 49ers can can get by and actually win a game or two here or there if they can get that so it, it doesn't even take an it doesn't even take a, a a Pro Bowl alternate level play at right tackle. If all the other positions are are decent, uh, like when if Kilgore comes back and if Tiller continues to play and play well, then I think they can get by. I thought the offensive line looked a lot better in general. Um, so I, well, let's hope that that's a trend going forward. Yeah, definitely. And it's as I'm going to say some pretty profound stuff here, <laughs> but the offense goes as the offensive line goes. You're welcome. Yeah, this is advanced. Uh, and, and, and no, it's not. It's not advanced analytics. It's, <laughs> it's not. It's not a coincidence that their best offensive night came the night of their their best offensive line play. Right. Um, I mean, no, no. Real, Kaepernick didn't throw an interception. I don't believe. Did he? Nope. Nope. Right. Uh, so you know, turnovers are down. I mean, it, you you just don't make stupid decisions when you have time and when you have a place to go. You know, I mean, it's it's pretty simple, but it's kind of you know the only time you can get around a, a poor offensive line is the same time you can get around with having poor skill position weapons around you, and that's when you have like a top three quarterback in the NFL. Yeah, absolutely, and even even uh, 
even Brady and and Rodgers, it they've had some really good O lines in front of them, and Rodgers has has had some not so great O lines in front of him, and that's why I think he's he's often struggled against the 49ers because they they have been able to get after him. Um, but yeah, as, as, as this offensive line goes, the offense is going to go. And if they can continue to improve, we're going to see the 49ers continue to improve. Um, but again, it's going to come down to what we talked about a couple weeks ago and that consistency. One good game is great. I'm, I'm not going to take anything away from the offensive line or from Colin Kaepernick or, or from what they did, but now let's see it against the Ravens who are also one and four. Uh, because if they come out and lay an egg against the Ravens, nobody's going to remember the stupid Giants game. Right. But if they come out, but if they come out and drop thirty points on the Ravens in a win, um, then people are going to go see. There was that stepping stone here. Now they can try and turn the page and, and continue to build. Yes, the old mo. Yeah. So uh, the defense, Eric Mangini is a a roller coaster guy to have as your defensive coordinator because. I just don't, you know, I never know what he's doing. And some sometimes I don't know what he's doing and he, and he does a good thing, you know. And sometimes I don't know what he's doing and he's doing bad things. And I I don't know why. I don't know what he looks at. Again, I, sometimes I feel like these guys, they, they, they pick a strategy. And because they've only got, you know, four days plus travel or whatever it ends up being to prepare, they just, I feel like they either think they are or, or maybe – they really are stuck with whatever they decided to do. And it seems like they, they're incapable of making significant adjustments in game because that, that porous zone defense was there all game long, including the final drive. I just, yep. but there was no way they were like, well, we just, this is what we brought, you know, <laughs> we, <laughs> we left the other cars at home. So, you know, we don't have any choices. So I just, yeah. It's it's ridiculous. It's absolutely ridiculous that you can't. It's at least on the final. Like, tell me these guys don't know all the plays in the defensive playbook. Tell me like you can't just be like, okay, I know we practice all this other stuff, but they're killing us. So you remember that other thing that we did like two games ago? Yeah, we're gonna do that on the final drive. Like like these and- professional million dollar paycheck earning guys are gonna be like, what? What? I don't remember. Well, <laughs> well for what it's worth, they had the one long play to Varine, which again, how do you not? Shane Vereen has made whatever his career has been out of just slipping out of the backfield uh, while the defense chases receivers. And you knew that Beckham was hurt. I mean, I know it's like the whole T.O. played on one leg thing and still had a good game. So you can't just completely leave him alone. But I mean, come on, the DBs know that they'll tell coaches like he's not right. He can't run, you know. I mean, if if that's the case, if he's just out there as a decoy, there's no excuse to let Shane Vereen run free. Yeah, you can't you can't lose a guy like that in in that situation. You can't just you can't just let him have those free yards. Uh, you just you really really can't. Um, I, I'd like I'd like to see them try and air it out to Odell Beckham Jr. rather than just dump it underneath to Chamberlain for thirty yards. You know, make him make him at least earn it. Uh, so there was that one play, and then there was a pass interference on Acker, which could have and probably should have been holding, uh, but they called it pass interference. So whatever. And I, and then, I'm, I'm, I'm just saying this. I'm convinced that that play was designed to draw that call. That's I'm convinced yeah, that, that Manning saw like. the the man coverage and just chucked it immediately because he knew that that was going to turn into pass interference if the ball was in the air. So, yep, I uh, I agree with you there. And then the touchdown was a great throw, a, a better catch, and the 49ers had it defended well. Bo was right there, uh, and and the Giants just made a play, and that happens in the NFL because these I wanna, guys are. I want to ask you did Did you see the the slightest twist in the ball when he hit the ground? Because I uh, I did. I mean, you know, it, it it was, might not have it might not have like left his hands or been the traditional bobble, but there was kind of this corkscrew that the ball made while his hands were still, and I'm like. We've seen crazier things get get overturned, you know. No, I I agree with you, but I wasn't going to go there with it. Yeah, um, I don't. I'm, I'm never yeah. going to say we lost because of that call, you know. Right, and it wasn't it wasn't enough. The fact that you have to ask uh, tells you that even if they do review it, which they do, they review all scoring plays. There wasn't enough for them to say, oh yes, for sure it moved. And secondly, uh, on an entirely different topic, my thought is if you have the ball in your hands with two feet down in the end zone, the ball's crossed the plane. It's a touchdown. It doesn't matter what happens from there. Yeah. Well, I, I think the, the whole, I know the whole process of the catch thing. That, that, that just needs to go away. Goal. It does. Yeah. The, the, so, so it, he caught it. It was a touchdown in it, my eyes. Right. And, and like in college, <laughs> it's one foot, you know, I mean, in college, it's like the tip of your toe 
grazes a blade of grass as you go out of bounds while you have possession and that's a catch, you know? Right. Uh, this whole like football move and go to the ground thing is just the it, most ridiculous thing in the world. I thought we wanted fact, like offensive excitement on in the NFL. Well, and the fact that it's been around and been a problem for years. And then it screwed Dallas out of an NFC title game appearance. And Calvin Johnson got, got hosed on it too. Yeah. It's that. Just... Yeah. I mean, um, you look at Bruce Miller in the, uh, in the Niner Steelers game, had it, had it happen and nobody even argued it because they knew the rule was dumb. Uh, so I, I'm that, like I said, that's an entirely different thing that we could spend an hour talking about. Uh, yeah. well, my, yeah, my... it was a touchdown. Great, great throw, great catch. Um, you know, and the Niners defended it well and the Giants made a play. Yeah. Things happen. Do you feel, do you feel as though, and I know we talked about this a little bit beforehand, but do you feel as though the Giants are kind of a metaphor for the Harbaugh and then post Harbaugh era? Because twice the Giants played the Niners in the regular season under Harbaugh. Well, three times, but one of them, uh, was a shellacking that the Giants handed to the 49ers at home, 26 to three. Um, but Twice, uh, once in 2011, the Giants had the ball uh, late with a chance to win it deep in Niners territory, and Justin Smith batted down a fourth down pass uh, to to seal it for the Niners. Then you that. had last year. Then you had last year with the uh, Borland interception at the goal line while the Giants were making a last ditch effort to pull the game out. And then this year, the Giants have the ball deep in 49er territory late in the game, and they score. Harbaugh factor. Boom. Mm, I would. I would say. When you described those other two games, you mentioned players' names who made a play, and uh, I I know for a fact that uh, all of those guys are gone now. And I, when Justin Smith batted that pass down, I believe this was the game where Patrick Willis practically just tackled the tight end, which is where Manning wanted to go with the ball, and and he hesitated just enough that Justin Smith jumped up and was able to bat it down. I'm pretty sure that was the play because it was like. It was like immediately at the line of scrimmage, Willis just basically just bull rushed right into the guy um, and kind of grabbed him a little bit. But um, anyway, th- th- those were... There will be no Patrick Willis slander on this podcast. Right? <laughs> no, no. It-, it was a good play because I don't think the refs can really call that You know, at the goal line. You don't know if the guy's a blocker or not. You have the right to pass rush, so you can kind of shuck him off to the side. He's, he's inside of five yards and everything else. But I, I just... Y- you had... You had three guys involved in those two plays, at least three guys. Who knows who else was involved in the you know in the background in making great plays? And we just don't have that kind of talent on defense anymore. You know, I mean, it's slipping. It, I was noting when I was watching the game, and I've been noting all season. The safety play has been horrible this year. You know, awful. And, and it's like it's kind of like when Carlos Rogers was was like nobody expected much, and then he was really good, and then he was really bad. And I wonder if this if Antoine Bethea is the same thing. I mean. Nobody was expecting much out of him. Indy didn't want him, and then he comes here and he plays great. Whitner was the same thing. Cleveland didn't, or was it Cleveland? No, Buffalo didn't want him. We got him. He played great. We, we were like, woo, and then eh, kind of not so much anymore. You know, but I mean, is it is it is it the talent or is it a mindset? Because if you watch a Jim Harbaugh team, and and I know it's college versus pro, but you look at Michigan. Did you watch any of the Michigan Northwestern game? No. Michigan had a pick six where the Northwestern receiver jumps, catches it, and is falling to the ground. And as he's going to the ground, the DB just pulls the ball out of his hands and houses it. I mean, there's a mindset. There's a there's an intensity that this team used to play with. And whether it was because of the personnel or not, um, I mean, there's that that intensity just seems to be gone. That kind of ball hawking, that that getting after it. And I know that's such a general term, but. Uh, it just seems to be gone. There's just something different. And like you said, could it be because Willis and, and Justin Smith are gone? Maybe. And, and I'm but, not just talking about talent too, but those guys all played fired up and they'd all been together for a while and everything, you know, and, and I just, there's a lot that goes into it. And I, I, I'm just, I'm sitting here thinking too, Mangini's not really a, a guy that ever gets fired up, you know, whereas Vic Fangio is kind of like the old school, like, you know, mean, gruff and grumble type of guy and, and Singletary right. and some of those guys were like that too. And, and Mangini's kind of like, well, we've, uh, we've got a, a good play. Um, we've got a good plan this week. We're going to go out and try to execute it. And, uh, you know, the guys are ready. And it's like, I wonder if he ever gets fired up and, and I, you know, there's just so many things that go into it. There's just so many, you've got a, a new young group out there and 
I don't know who's really the leader outside of, uh, you know, well, I, we know who the leaders are. We know the guys that have been there for a long time, but who's like the emotional leader that gets everybody else fired? I don't think Bowman looks the same, not just physically, but, you know, I, I don't know. I don't know if guys are sensing how bad they, the team is. I don't know if guys are, are having issues, you know, in the locker room or with the coaching staff or anything, or if, if there's just some kind of spark missing because of, you know, coaches or players that have left. But it's you're right. It's not the same. Yeah, and that's just – and whether it's the coaching staff or not, um, that's what I'm going to point to because it makes me feel better. Uh, but there's just there's just something different, and, and, it, and it stinks because this team was so fun to watch. And they still are because I love them and, and I live and die with them on Sundays. But uh, there's just a different kind of feel. There, It's more of like a you're watching your child fall down and now try and stand up and you're cheering them on versus uh, watching your child run through brick walls. Yeah, the defense needs to come back for sure because that's always what you could hang your hat on for the last almost decade, you know, was that the defense was going to come to play. So that's what ticks me off, like I said, about me and Jeannie, is you never know what you're going to get, and and it seems like when it's not working, they just have to stick with it. You know, I hope that changes. Um, I'm I'm just – I'm really not sold on the guy. You know, he's touted as being smart, but – We've seen what looked like a lot of dumb the man things. Genius. Yeah, we've seen a lot of dumb things happen in the, in games in terms of concepts and things like that. So, you know, and I mean, they got to know that the other team. It's it, it's a bunch of reverse, reverse, reverse psychology and guessing and stuff. The other team's trying to guess what you're going to do. So if you come in and they happen to have guessed perfectly what you're going to do, well, you got to have a contingency plan. You know, I mean, if they've got your number, tell me that's not the like I said, that's not the only car you brought. You know, I mean, you. you <laughs> You got to have a, a backup engine in the in the garage or whatever, you know. So, I don't know. It's this is. I feel like these, these are just common things that people complain about when their team just isn't that good, and I think that's the reality that we've come to. Yeah, and it stinks because it leaves a lot less for us to talk about. <laughs> yeah, just kind of just kind of throwing throwing your hands up at this point. Um, but hey, winnable game on Sunday. Yep, one and four Baltimore versus one and four, like you said home game and uh so no excuses on time zones and travel and everything else so hopefully uh hopefully some guys will be you know ready to play and i just i don't know like i said i can't help but but be looking forward to to after the the pup list guys can come back and and uh you know seeing whether the offensive line gets better that's that's all i have right now is looking for incremental progress from the team and that's how i keep my sanity i I try not to set the bar too high for myself so i don't get you know, disappointed. I honestly have a lot less stress this year than I have when the team was really good because I expected them to win every week and I would just chew my nails and pull my hair out the whole game, you know? Um, And now I don't. And if I don't, I have, there's been two games I didn't watch live. There's been two games I turned off before the end of the game. uh, And I just, I'm fine with that though, you know? And I'm like, well, maybe I'm turning a corner, but of course, if they were really good, I'd be glued and, and it would be crazy. But so fair weather fan yeah i know i'm not hashtag <laughs> no, and, faithful and, and, no i and and i get you i mean you're still investing the emotion into it but you don't feel as though um i, I get you there's not the there's not the stress when they do do something good now it's like hey nice and when something bad happens it's like yeah yeah kind of kind of expected that um but the good news is is you can still see some talent there um it's just they need a direction, and that's that's what kind of stinks is there doesn't seem to be any real direction or plan or anything. It just seems like they're kind of throwing stuff at the wall and, and seeing what sticks, and you can't, you're not going to have a successful NFL franchise doing that. Nope, and they need to figure it out. It's it's They're either going to figure it out or they're going to figure out that they can't figure it out and that they – you know, they threw together a bunch of guys who, uh, from the coaching staff, that individually were good at certain things, but weren't kind of part of a of a group. You know, I mean, that's there's something to be said about when you hire a guy like Harbaugh, and he brings all of his guys. You know, he says, "This is who I want, and this is who I'm bringing in, and they want to come, and they like me, and I've worked with them before, and and all of mm-hmm. that." Everybody's got the singular vision, then everybody's on the same page. Um, here, it just kind of seemed like. You know, hey, would you like to come here? I know you don't know anybody, and you have no connections really here. And oh yeah, sure. And oh, that guy over there is kind of good. Let's let's talk to him too. You know, and and you know, most of us know you you can't. You know, it's like I worked for a company once who 
basically didn't start small. They had another business that gave them the lending power to just go get a giant loan from the bank. And they literally just bought all this equipment and hired all these people from all over the country and put them in there and set an opening date and just said, go, you know, and it failed miserably inside of two years. And we had the best equipment and we had individually the best people, but none of these people had worked together. They hadn't developed any kind of a system or way of doing things before. They all came from different places. You know, people didn't didn't know how to run this machine because they'd always run that machine at their last place and everything else. So, I mean, it was just it was just a big mess. And there was no reason on paper that it shouldn't have worked other than that cohesiveness and that 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 vision that time to gel and everything like that so that may be what it comes down to maybe you know maybe my optimism for this coaching staff was flawed all along and you know i'm big it enough to was you were wrong yeah and, and in today's world a lot of people will be really glad to prove me wrong just as i probably would have been glad to prove them wrong had the team been really well so i gotta i gotta eat crow on that but Anyway, like you said, not much we can really talk about with this team right now. I don't want to go on too long. Um, the, we know what the mistakes are. There was some progress there. Uh, we can't ignore that, and hopefully the team doesn't either. Look for a good showing this week against the Ravens. Like I said, injury report will be out today, today being Wednesday. So we'll see if there's anything to why Bruce Ellington didn't play from the injury standpoint. But that's going to wrap it up. Wrap it up for easy for me to say. Back it up. Hey, love the love the remix there. Nice. Yeah. Got DJ Yellow on the scratches. <laughs> I don't. Yeah. So that's going to wrap it up for us today on the as of yet no name podcast. Thanks, Kyle Madsen, for being on. Follow him on Twitter at Mad Sports Eight. Kyle, buddy, thanks as always for jumping on. Yeah, Trey, appreciate it, man. Follow me on Twitter at Trey the number nine E R. That's going to do it for us today. We are out of here. about the seahawks <laughs> they suck and they really do they're not very good <laughs>